the list goes on and on. The injury bug, bug has plagued the NFL, and it is honestly extremely sad to watch. A lot of these injuries were torn ACLs or torn meniscuses somewhere in the knee. Also, that happened in preseason players like Derwin James. So, just an incredible loss of so many players that are going to be playing this season. Wilson is spectacular. I think this is finally the season where Pete Carroll is like, all right, you have the keys to the car. Go do whatever you want. Right before the play happened, you can hear the audio, especially in the bubble when people are recording from courtside. Grant motioned to Plumlee saying, help on LeBron. I think it's on Grant to make the switch knowing AD is coming off the curl because Plumlee came over to help with LeBron. There's no need for Grant to still stay on LeBron. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Walk-In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shree. And man, did we have a crazy week two in the NFL. A lot of great games, but unfortunately, a lot of injuries. We also had an amazing game two of the Western Conference Finals, the Nuggets versus the Lakers, AD's buzzer beater. But first, let's dive right in into the NFL because it's been a crazy weekend with so many injuries. So many season-ending injuries too specifically. Just some season-ending injuries for y'all to happen. Saquon Barkley, Vaughn Miller, Nick Bosa, Derwin James, Cortland Sutton, Anthony Barr, Bruce Irvin, Malik Hooker, Tavon Young, CJ Uzoma, Marlon Mack, Gerald McCoy, Andre Dillard, Zach Banner, Grant Delpit. Yeah, and then who I think Solomon Thomas also on the 49ers is out. Yeah, he did the yeah, and then Jimmy Garoppolo, out for four to six weeks. Christian McCaffrey, out for a few weeks. A.J. Brown, out for a few weeks. The list goes on and on. The injury bug, bug has plagued the NFL, and it is honestly extremely sad to watch. A lot of these injuries were torn ACLs or torn meniscuses somewhere in the knee. Also, that happened in preseason players like Derwin James. So, just an incredible loss of so many players that are going to be playing this season. Shree, what are your reactions to the sheer number and volume of injuries that happened in these first two weeks. I, I know some teams like the Niners were complaining about the turf at the stadium. And, you know, that was an issue amongst their players. But I think this overall theme of injury across the league has to do with, you know, the the shortened training camps, the, the lack of a preseason and just not enough time getting into the conditioning and the football shape that these athletes who are so used to routine and they have this this rigorous method in which they get into game shape. You know, the pandemic definitely affected that. And I'm like, obviously, we can't 100% blame the limited time off for all these injuries. But I think it's at least like half of the battle, right? Like, without all these teams having their proper training regimens and, you know, the, the offseason workouts with the receivers, the quarterbacks, the D-lines, offensive lines, it's just, it, it's been rough and... It's sad to see so many big names. Like, I know Saquon was looking for a bounce back season, and, you know, Cortland Sutton just blossoming. Um, I know Tyrod Taylor was banged up. I think he's day to day, but he's another guy who, because of injury, you know, we had Justin Herbert step in, and we'll get to that later. But there was just so much. So, so many of the games just had stoppages, and it, it was unlike any other week in football, I remember. Yeah, I think Saquon's injury was particularly brutal. I was watching that game. He went down. He got tackled, hurt his shoulder, went out for one play, came back the next play, tore his ACL. Just back-to-back injuries in back-to-back plays, literally, was 
honestly crazy. And I, I do agree with you. A lot of it has to do with the shortened preseason, shortened training camp, shortened contact hitting, I guess is what you'd call it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I know the 49ers, as you said, were complaining about the turf, but the Jets did not seem plagued to injuries like the 49ers were. So I'm confused as how the turf could help one team and how uh, and not help the other, but only hurt one team. And even in last week's game, in, in the Giants game, uh, th- there didn't seem to be many injuries on the field compared to what happened in this Jets game. So I think it was just a bunch of freak accidents against that Niners team, but just an incredible amount of injuries. And I think one has to wonder now, going forward, what can the NFL do to rectify the situation, if anything? Is it just too little, too late, count these four, three, four games as sort of preseason games in a sense and hope that star players like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and Saquon Barkley is one of the young stars of this league and he's out. People tune in to watch Giants games because of Saquon Barkley and the magic he does on the field. So I think the Giants having a tremendous loss there just for their team and Danny Dimes can't rely on Saquon for the Giants on the field perspective, but from the NFL's perspective of this is their product, they're trying to sell and market this product, a lot of star players are out. So how does the NFL respond to the situation? Is it just it is what it is? Do you think they can actually take some action here? I'm not sure what the deal is because I know specifically Niners players were complaining to the NFL about changing the turf. But I'm not sure that's an NFL decision as it is a stadium decision or a team-to-team decision. I think it's it, there's not much you can do, right? Because obviously, one, with football, it's just such a physical sport. So injuries are, are just a natural part of the game. Every single game, there's going to be at least one guy who goes down and has to be taken off the field. You know, concussion protocol is a big thing. Thankfully, there weren't any concussion issues this week. I know those are just like long-term, super serious. But yeah, like the ACLs, MCLs, um, you know, Devontae Adams had a hamstring injury, needed further testing on that. Drew Locke is out for a bunch of weeks. Um, yeah, I I think it's not a matter of like too little, too late. It's just unfortunate that the pandemic cut a lot of the training time down. I've heard about Devontae Adams specifically that he tweaked his hamstring but was available and ready and wanting to come back onto the field in that game in the second half. But they were just blowing out the Lions so much, everyone thought there was no need to risk putting Devontae Adams in. So I feel like he should be okay based on what I've heard and what I've read. So I think, if anything, he'll miss maybe a week or two. I mean, you have players like A.J. Brown, who has a bruised knee, I believe, on the Titans. And so he's also probably week to week. There's no set timeline for him yet. And we can talk about Tyrod Taylor when we talk about the Chargers. But yeah, just so many players that are injured. And it's just an incredible week of football because every single time you saw someone go down, you just had the sinking feeling, especially when they were grabbing their knee that, man, this is it for them. This is it. And even in week one, there was a lot of season-ending injuries in preseason. And it just, it it breaks my heart. It breaks your heart too, I know. Yeah, and there's always the injuries to, you know, like the role guys, like the, the, the ones that aren't really mainstream football players, the ones that are highly marketed. But this week was just, such a such a rash of names that everybody knows and like everybody watches football to see these guys play and it was just i don't know it was it was kind of sad like it was a obviously like we'll we'll get into the raiders and like i'm really happy about what they did but yeah otherwise it was it was tough like this week was not a good football week yeah 
it wasn't a good football week for the players that got injured, but it was a good football week to watch some amazing games. We had the amazing Sunday Night Football game. The Chiefs-Chargers game was, was fantastic, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But the most recent game that happened while we're recording this was the Monday Night Football matchup between the newly minted Las Vegas Raiders and their newly minted stadium, Allegiant Stadium, which I have to say looks absolutely beautiful against the Drew Brees-led New Orleans Saints without Michael Thomas. That's an important piece to consider because Drew Brees did not look the same without his number one receiver, was struggling a lot. He put up good-ish numbers in terms of pure passing yards, but that Saints offense just wasn't the same without that two-headed snake in Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. You're obviously a huge Raiders fan, which is why we're talking about this. So I just want to learn about your first reactions because it was a great game and the Raiders didn't do everything right. There's a lot to learn, but I think there's so much to look forward to if you're a Raiders fan. Well, obviously I'm happy, right? Like they they came out the gate flat. They were down 17-7. You know, the defense was struggling and it was one of those games where, you know, can Carr really get balls downfield? Like can he get his receivers? Can Darren Waller get involved? And, you know, down 17-7 to a team like the Saints, which are, you know, consistently at the top of the standings, one of the premier NFC teams, it, it the prospects just don't look good, especially when you're one of those Raiders teams that are trying to prove something. So I was really impressed with Carr. I was really impressed with Waller. He had like 12 catches, 103 yards, really cementing himself as one of the, the premier tight ends in the league. Like, I think he's top five tight end right now. Um you know, Zay Jones had a brilliant touchdown catch. Um, Jalen Richard had a fumble, but then atoned for it with a 20-yard touchdown in the fourth. Josh Jacobs was just consistently pounding. He he didn't have his usual like like breaks. He didn't he didn't hit the holes as hard, but he still had 88 yards. You know, offensive line has a few injuries, but I think they held up pretty well throughout the game. And yeah, I I. I thought it was a good momentum builder because, you know, first game at home, Carr signed Allegiant Stadium and marked down the win and, like, the score. So it was a pretty cool moment for that. Um, defense, I you know, one of my pet peeves is when teams build huge leads and then start playing prevent defense. Like, that just does not need to happen because you put your foot on the gas all game. Why even give the other team a chance to sniff out a comeback? And especially, I know... Drew Brees is declining. People are there's sneaky calls for Taysom Hill and you know Jameis Winston crab throwing Jameis Winston, but I, if it's Drew Brees in a in comeback mode, I'm still scared. Like he's still Drew Brees to me. So I I I, I want the Raiders defense to learn kind of like the the keep your foot on the throat like the entire game, and that's something they'll learn the more they play and the more they mesh together, but. Really good job by Carr today, getting all his receivers involved, and the run game was solid. I think the run game is one of the strengths moving forward for the season. So, you know, more more good than bad, and two and zero is definitely way better than what I expected. I, I between us two, you were the only one to choose the the Raiders to win against the Saints, and your reasoning and logic was I'm going to choose the Raiders to win every single game this year, and that did pay off. Hey, I mean, I part of it was a joke, but part of it was also because, like, I mentioned Drew Brees' decline, and it's not something crazy, but it's starting to feel like, you know, last year when when Brady was still good, but you, you could tell that he was, he was just starting his late career, like, 
it's like the swan song you know it's like his last few years and you can just tell i think drew Brees is reaching that point and we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of people asking why isn't Jameis playing why isn't Taysom hill getting more snaps and that sad but it, it's unfortunate like the saints are just not the same especially with michael thomas not there i think without michael thomas the biggest issue i saw with drew Brees is his accuracy is still there and he's still obviously one of the smartest quarterbacks around but just the issue was when you're down and you need those big chunk plays, mm-hmm. he just cannot do it. His arm is not as strong or as powerful as it once was. And the same thing with Tom Brady. Both these quarterbacks, 39 and 42 or 43 respectively, they struggled to throw the ball down the field. And I mean that in the sense of struggling to throw the ball in a Hail Mary type situation. They're, they're not Patrick Mahomes. They're not Aaron Rodgers. They're not Lamar Jackson where they can throw the ball 80 yards right now. And sometimes you kind of need to chuck the ball 80 yards down the field, 70, 60 yards down the field. I don't think the Saints had the receiver core Mm -hmm. to do that today. I don't think Drew Brees was capable of doing that today. But speaking of the Raiders, I think on the offensive side of the ball is where, to me, they shine the most because of what they were missing. I believe Richie Incognito was out Mm -hmm. of this game, and you're, you're... Right tackle, I believe you're like Trent your Williams? best. Yeah, he was also out. I think your your best run blocking tackle, one of the right or left tackle, he was out. Maybe I'll double check. Yeah, I he was out and his backup was out. So there was like the third string, the third string tackle was in. So considering all that and Josh Jacobs rushed for eighty eight yards, I know it was on twenty eight carries, I believe, but twenty six carries and uh, high volume, but still. A good number of, of yards. It was just, it was it was cool to see that the Raiders had a lot on, more in the, uh, inside their sleeve than than what they're showing, and their depth is a lot better. And Hunter Renfro had a couple of clutch catches, and you have two rookie wide receivers starting with Rugs and Renfro, so you want Waller to be there in the middle, and just the Gruden playbook is just down the middle. Two things. Let me correct myself. It's Trent Brown, not Trent Williams. I was thinking of someone else, but Trent Brown was out. You're right, and. Renfro is not a rookie, my guy. He has he has a year. I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Again, he's very underrated. I think he's gonna play that like Danny Amendola type role. Like he's just gonna get those intermediate routes, those chunk yards on third down. He's, I love him. I like Renfro's game a lot. I love Renfro too. I loved him since Clemson, and I feel like he's he's a second year player. But and even the broadcast announcer said this during the game. He's played, and they say, quote like a million years at Clemson. Yeah. Which I really feel like he did. So I believe he's t- in his mid 20s. He has to be for how long he played at Clemson, at least. Mm-hmm. I think he's I like 20. Know. I think he's like 25. I don't, I'm not sure. But yeah, like I, one thing that I, I think I saw a lot of old Drew Brees and Derek Carr in these first few games, right? Like he's doing those little dink and dunk, like mid range passes, like the annoying Drew Brees stuff that, you know, he's just going to get you those yards when you need him. But Carr also has a really good deep ball. And he's, you know, Henry Ruggs doesn't always make those catches just because sometimes he's, he's just covered too tight. But there was that end of game penalty he drew on on a big third down, you know, keep a Raiders drive alive to like prevent the Saints from getting the ball back and potentially tie the game. Huge pass interference call. And was it Janoris Jenkins? I think I think that was the, the, the corner who got tagged for the penalty. But it was just Ruggs' speed is like the... We, we've been missing a huge vertical threat for so long. And Tyrell Williams was good last year, but it's just not the same as a guy who runs a 4 40 
if I'm not mistaken. So I, I, I think Ruggs is paying dividends early for us, which is something I didn't expect until like midseason. A really good game overall, and I think there's a lot to look forward to as a Raiders fan. I think there's also a lot to look forward to if you're a Chargers fan, which I am. But I'm honestly disappointed. I was really excited, but as I've learned more and more over the past day or so, I'm sorry to say on this podcast for the first time, and I really used to like this coach, I believe that Anthony Lynn should be fired as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. I have a question for you. Go ahead. When going against Patrick Mahomes and you have a fourth and one, how do you not go for it? So I want to break down why I believe Anthony Lynn should be fired in, in, in a sort of chronological manner. So the Chargers in 2017, Anthony Lynn's first season, the 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 last season they went 5-11, and 11. They added a few different pieces, some some pretty good pieces, and they ended up going nine and seven, which was great because they ended up losing, I believe, the first four or five games of the season, and they ended up winning eight out of nine in the back stretch of the season. So it was really good forward momentum. And the next season, with the vastly improved roster, they went twelve and four. I think they had the best roster in the league at that point, or one of the best rosters in the league. They lost a couple of heartbreakers, and they lost to the Baltimore Ravens which is a game that me and you saw together. And that loss was perplexing and confusing. But they ended up beating the Baltimore Ravens in the playoffs using this crazy, essentially eight defensive backs set up to to guard against Lamar Jackson in what was his fourth or fifth game. But we got destroyed by the Patriots. Was that Derwin James's rookie year? That was Derwin James's rookie year. And he played amazing that year. He won... He made all pro honors. I think Darius Leonard beat him and defensive rookie of the year, which I'm fine with in the sense because Darius Leonard had an amazing season, but he was an all pro and he is an all pro. Mm -hmm. And I think he's one of the best safeties in the game right now. One of the best defensive players in the game right now. One of the best players in the game right now, period. 2018, 12 and four. And everybody was saying this Chargers roster is stacked. Their only deficit, quote unquote, was in the quarterback position because Phillip Rivers wasn't 100% and obviously their offensive line. But this team refused to fix their offensive line. But they had a great, amazing defense, solid wide receiver, solid tight end, great running backs. And then in 2019, Austin Eckler really bloomed, especially because Melvin Gordon didn't come in and he was out for the first few games because he was holding out. And even when he came back, he wasn't necessarily the same. But we found Austin Eckler to be our new future back. And this was obviously Phillip Rivers last season. And 2019, extremely disappointing. Derwin James was out for the season, but still an extremely stacked defense, and with that talent level and that roster, you go 5-11. and 11, I'm just extremely disappointed because I don't understand. It just doesn't make sense to me. So 5-11, and 11, a terrible season, but you want to bounce back. So in the draft, you have a few decisions to make. Phillip Rivers obviously leaves, so you want a quarterback. There's a couple good quarterbacks later on. You could have gotten Jalen Hurts. You could have gotten a lot of other players. You could have gotten some defense. You could have gotten Isaiah Simmons, right? But instead, you went and picked Justin Herbert because Tua was gone and Joe Burrow was gone. And me and you ragged on the Herbert pick because, again, we saw him in real life. We didn't think he lived up to the hype. But you picked a quarterback. You picked a quarterback that you think is going to be the future of your franchise. So obviously, you want to train him. You want to put him in situations that will help him develop, help him win. And that totally makes sense. And with a limited offseason, with a limited training camp, 
he's supposedly a smart guy. He's supposedly one of the smartest quarterbacks of all time. But still, you 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 just sort of want him to develop. And as you said, with Tyrod Taylor as your starting quarterback, it's just sort of okay. He's not going to lose you any games. He's not going to win you any games. That that is that's something you said, and that's something I believe everybody in the NFL community believes. He's pretty standard. Then we saw the week one matchup against the Bengals, which was last year the worst team in the league. Uh, they didn't have Geno Atkins. They didn't have a lot of their defense. It was a very new look for them. And still, the Chargers managed to eke out a win. In all honesty, we should have lost mm-hmm. because we, we got very lucky by a missed kick by Randy Bullock and also a call in the end zone offensive pass interference, which, again, pushed the Bengals back. And so we should have lost that game to the worst team in the league. Granted, the Bengals are a lot better right now, but on the defensive side of the ball, they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. And our defense played pretty well, but we didn't put up any points. We barely put up any points. And Tyra Taylor didn't have any touchdowns. Tyra Taylor in his career has only had one 300-plus yard passing game. And so that game really, to me, showed what Tyra Taylor is capable of in this offense. So many weapons. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen only had five receptions for about 50 to 60 yards that game. It was crazy to me. Austin Eckler did not produce that much. But that's one of those things like you were saying how Tyrod Taylor is like a game manager. Like I think he's he will beat the teams you need to beat. Like he will he he'll handily beat like a Jets team. He'll keep you afloat until you can win the game against a pretty improved Bengals team. Like, yes, they're gonna be bad this season, but they they look frisky. Like they look like a competent team. But against those those Chiefs, when you'll you'll get to the Chiefs, but like against a team like the Ravens or, you know, a Packers team. Like, I just don't think he's he's the guy to match up against star quarterbacks at that level. Yeah, you're 100% right. And that's my issue with Tyrod Taylor is that he is a game manager, is that he doesn't know how to utilize the weapons he has available to him. If you gave most quarterbacks in the league, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, they would say, this is a great offense. Let's go with this. And the Chargers did have some injuries this year as a roster overall. Again, we lost Darwin James for the season. We lost Mike Pouncey, a great center. And me and you were talking about how undervalued the center position is. The Chargers are cursed. I believe it. But we lost Mike Pouncey for the season. But still, if you look at this game, first off, thoughts and prayers to Tyrod Taylor. Always wish him the best of luck. And I hope that he's going to be okay. But you look at what Justin Herbert brought to this LA Chargers offense. And it was something that we haven't seen in a long, long time. It was that spark. He looked, and the Chargers offense looked, like a Lamar Jackson-led team, like a Deshaun Watson-led team, like a Patrick Mahomes-led team, because the offensive playbook opened up. You could run. You could pass. Play action became a lot bigger deal. You could do RPOs. So many things. And we saw, in the first half at least, Justin Herbert take control of that game. He obviously made some rookie mistakes. He threw an interception that he absolutely should not have. And there was one play in the fourth quarter. The Chargers, tied 17 all, managed to get the ball at the two-yard line of the Chiefs. So we had three opportunities to punch it in, only two yards to go. Did not get it. And that's where I kind of want to talk about the breakdown of this game. right? So somehow you can't call a play call that manages to put it in with two yards to go. You have Justin Herbert as your quarterback. He is huge. Run a QB sneak, for God's sake. Or bring in a fullback 
just run it down the middle. The Chiefs' interior defense is not that great that they can stop three straight rushing attempts into the end zone. Instead, the first two downs, they tried to run it with some fancy stuff. On third down, Herbert, I guess, made a mistake. When he snapped the ball, he turned to his right, but the running back went to his left. So he tried to like do a play-action fake handoff. He handed the ball off to nobody or fake-handed off the ball to nobody. And then we kicked the field goal. And then, Chiefs come back. Make an amazing drive to kick the field goal, tie the game. We are lucky enough, blessed enough, 50-50 chance to get the ball, right? Fourth and one, fourth and one. And the Chiefs' offense, defense has not been able to stop your rushing attack all day. You have almost 200 yards on the ground. And also, this, this Chiefs' offense is now firing on all cylinders, and your defense is gassed. I don't understand the decision by Anthony Lynn to not go for it. Because if you don't go for it and you punt it away, the Chiefs are almost guaranteed to score. That's my issue is the Chiefs were almost guaranteed to score. But if you go for it and you get it, then you kill time off the clock and you can extend the drive and the momentum shifts, right? But if you don't get, if, if you go for it and you, and you don't succeed, then the outcome of the game is the same. I, I had no doubt in my mind when we punched the ball away, the Chiefs were going to win that game. It was one of those like bang, bang calls to make as a coach because you've seen the, for all the warts the Chargers have overall as a roster, their defense came to play yesterday. There was, at one point, they shut up a stat that, you know, Mahomes was like 9 of 22 passing for like a buck 20 or something. Like, it wasn't anything impressive. And yeah, he made some plays late in the fourth. But, well, I here, I guess let me pose this as a question. If you've seen your defense compete the way they were competing yesterday and... It's going to be a deep field for Mahomes. Yes, like he just needs to get in field goal range, but he still needs to go that like 50, 60 yards. Like, would would going for it be more of a sign that you don't trust your defense against Mahomes or you truly believe that your offense will pick up that one yard? We look in the Super Bowl, one of the best defenses people see in the NFL, the 49ers defense. Mahomes destroyed them in that last drive. Mahomes, at that point, in the fourth quarter in overtime, Mahomes was 17 for 20 with 185 yards and a touchdown. When the fourth quarter comes and you see Mahomes has built that momentum and has already managed to take the Chiefs down in a really far field and kick that field goal, and remember how close the Chiefs were to scoring a touchdown on that last drive. They were very close. They were in the red zone, and a lucky penalty and... Some some good defense by the Chargers was able to stop them. Mm-hmm. It's if it was the old rules where they had to score a touchdown or something, it would have been a different story. But all they have to do is score a field goal. All they have to do is get to the thirty-five yard line, the forty-yard line, and your kicker just hit a fifty-eight yard field goal. So I think Andy Reid would be comfortable kicking a sixty-yard field goal. And I feel comfortable if if I was the kicker, I could make that field goal. You just made a fifty-eight earlier in the game. So for all those reasons, knowing all this in my head and seeing how well Patrick Mahomes, who I think might very well be one of the greatest players in NFL history, and I I don't think I'm too premature in saying this. You see how transcendent he is on the field. You see he's literally the best player in the NFL right now, right? It's not that I don't trust my defense. I don't trust any defense. You can't trust a defense against Patrick Mahomes. He cannot be stopped. Maybe on one drive, you could be stopped, but you saw how much momentum he had. And more importantly, you saw how tired your defense was. They played super well the entire game until the fourth quarter because this Chiefs offense is too explosive. You don't have Derwin James to shut down Kelsey, so you're worried about Kelsey. You're worried about Michael Robinson, right? You're worried about... Tra- uh, um, Nicole uh, Hardman. T- 
Miko Hardman, sorry, and then also Robinson, right? He's another receiver. Demarcus on the Chiefs. Robinson, right? Yeah, Demarcus Robinson. And then you're worried about uh, um, Tyreek Hill, who I didn't even mention. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. The weapons they have are amazing. So to worry about all those players, your defense must be so tired mentally, physically. Here's another question. So you you mentioned that you know they had the ball at the two and they couldn't punch it in. Was any of that? Could you, you think that could have played a factor in like if you're if you just need a yard, but just earlier it looked like they couldn't get it in in the red zone like as a coach like it's it's so crazy thinking about all those possibilities when you're just trying to come up with like a you know a decision that makes or breaks the game yeah but for me this is the thing you're playing the defending super bowl champions and you have a rookie quarterback in his first ever start you're missing your best and star defensive player and your best lineman and your most important player on the offense line, on the offensive line, Mac Pouncey, right? Mm-hmm. You aren't supposed to be in the situation where the game is tied. The fact that you're in this is lucky. So might as well go for it, right? You aren't supposed to be in the situation where you you could have a chance to win the game. It's supposed to be a blowout. Patrick Mahomes is supposed to drop 50 on you while scoring like all the points himself and dropping 500 yards and their defense is supposed to smother you. But- this isn't supposed to happen. So the fact that this situation ended, ended up coming up it's fourth and one. Just quarterback sneak it. I don't care. I, I think the play calls at the at the two yard line were all terrible. And I think you learn from that and you see, oh, you know, we we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't shouldn't go out of shotgun. Just under center, snap the ball. You know, Austin Eckler down the middle, something whatever. These are all learning opportunities. Here's my last thing I'll say on this game. Like I thought it was a safe play call. I don't think it was a bad. I don't think it was a bad call just because. No coach is thinking, like, what you said is what we all think, right? Like, yeah, you're tied with the Chiefs. Like, obviously, you got to go for it if you have this chance. But no staff, no no coordinators, no head coaches thinking, oh, wow, I'm so lucky to be here. Like, it's a tie game, right? Like, they're, they're playing the odds. They're playing the percentages. Like, if we punt this away, they still have a long field to make. Like, they have, and against the defense that's played as well as they did today, yeah, they were getting tired. But they still, the Chiefs had 17 points in the fourth quarter. That's so unheard of for a team that, you know, it's not uncommon if they put out like 50 so i but they scored all 17 in the fourth quarter which is the issue they were right? shut out through three no sorry they scored three points uh they scored their first touchdown in the uh third the quarter i thought they, they they scored a touchdown in the third right did they i think it might have been closer to the end of the third regardless in, in the fourth quarter they had an amazing drive they scored at least 10 points in the fourth quarter they had that tyree kill touchdown catch yeah. And a field goal, right? So, I think my issue is not that you're you're supposed to be I'm so lucky, but you have the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And you have to take the opportunity in your hand. You're an NFL head coach. You're playing against the greatest player of all time, one of the greatest teams of all time. You can't not take this opportunity. And also, also you, you talk about statistics. I think statistics would be on my side. I think the Chargers going for it in a fourth and one situation on like the 34-yard line are more likely than not statistically going to get that first down compared mm-hmm. to punting it and giving the ball to Patrick Mahomes at the, at the 20 yard line and all he needs is to advance the ball to the 38 yard line statistically Patrick Mahomes is more likely to, or more likely to do that than you not being able to convert on that fourth down but you, you you don't do that call right and you obviously lose the game and I do want to give credit obviously to Harrison Butker the, the man is crazy he's insane kicker for the Chiefs made a 53 yard field goal that got called off because of a five-yard false start penalty, made a fifty-yard, fifty-eight-yard field goal that got called off because of a timeout. No, and, but, another... and he, he was iced by his own team. 
Yeah. No, it was the Chargers that called the timeout. It was the Chargers that called the timeout. Okay, but I think the graphic showed that Kansas City called the timeout, no, which was... It was, it was the Chargers was that called crazy. the timeout. And then, once again, he made a 58-yard field goal. So, essentially, he made two or two 58-yarders and a 53-yarder all within the span of, like, two minutes, right? <laughs> to have the leg power, and especially towards the end of the game when you've already made a 58-yarder earlier in the game, made all three of those kicks, I think, in that situation, I can only give props to Harrison Butker. But... My point being is this. Coaching decisions that could potentially sway games are the reason that some coaches are great and some coaches are not. And I think Pete Carroll is a great head coach, but we can always and will always remember the the fact that he decided to run the ball, or sorry, to throw the ball instead of run the ball in that Super Bowl against the Patriots. Right? Mm -hmm. But still, he's made so many other great coaching decisions. And I don't want to speak too highly of Pete Carroll right now because I will, I'll talk about him a bit, talk about the Sunday Night Football matchup, but I think he's obviously a great coach. But we see so many other great coaches in, in history make important and impressive coaching decisions time after time. And I feel like time after time, Anthony Lynn always makes the wrong decisions. And a stat I just want to put out there are the, char- the, the Chargers in 2019 were 2-9 in games decided by 7 points or fewer. When you have a 2-9 and nine record... In, in games decided by a touchdown or less, I think you have to boil a lot of it down to coaching calls. I think a lot of it has, how some of the blame, a good amount of the blame has to be put on the coaching staff. You, you have the ball at the two-yard line. Your quarterback just rushed eight yards to put the ball at the two-yard line with three minutes left. And you don't think, oh, our quarterback just ran for a first down. Let's run him again with two yards left. He's 6'5", 10 pounds. No one can stop him. Justin Herbert knocked, should have knocked out a Kansas City linebacker by running into him. Just straight up knocked him out earlier in the game. He is 6'5". He is huge. And he knocked out a defensive player on the Kansas City Chiefs. Why don't you just run the ball with him or run the ball with Austin Eckler? Do some very simple like goal line running plays to score the ball for a touchdown instead of settling and kicking a field goal one thing i am noticing in the nfl this year and it's it's part head coach and part just players really wanting to do it there's a lot of fourth down like going for it moments like I, i've seen far fewer punts and I'm, I'm seeing like and ron rivera was one of the first guys to really you know riverboat ron prayers out to him he's like dealing with cancer right now so I hope he's okay but he with the panthers and their glory years with cam and Greg Olson and everybody, they they went for it a lot on fourth. And more often than not, it helped out the Panthers, especially in that 15-1 and one season. Crazy. And this season, we're seeing a ton of coaches just going for it. Andy Reid's doing that a lot. And when you have someone like Mahomes and all the weapons he has, it makes sense. And I think it comes down to trusting your players. Like, does Anthony Lynn trust a rookie quarterback? Does he trust his rookie players? Great segue, which was unplanned, because Anthony Lynn said this earlier today. There's a lot we didn't get done with Justin on the field yesterday. He's a backup for a reason. He believes and he's adamant that Tyrod Taylor will be the starting quarterback for the Chargers. I don't understand the sentiment. But more importantly, I don't like the way he's talking about Justin Herbert. Did he say that like quote unquote? This is a quote. This is a quote. Ooh, that's rough if you're Herbert. Right? Because you did all all you could. You made one mistake. One mistake. Right? But you still were able to keep your team in that game. And if your coach gave you the opportunity to win, I'm sure you would have. But your coach says, 
There's a lot we didn't get done with Justin on the field yesterday. He's a backup for a reason. There's a nicer way of putting that as a coach. Oh, because, especially especially when Herbert does all the things he did in that game. Look, to a certain extent, Anthony Lynn is right. Herbert did not make a lot of calls, and he is still a rookie. But with limited training camp and limited practices, why not just put him in the the, the game as you're starting? There's nothing for you to lose because I I don't see any any reasonable outcome with Tyrod Taylor as your quarterback in which based on the performance I saw like of the Chargers against the Bengals in which the Chargers end up making the playoffs I and if your goal is to make the playoffs and that's not reasonable and we see the Chiefs are 2 and 0 and the Raiders are 2 and 0 the AFC seems very competitive I don't see any reason why you don't put Justin Herbert in as your quarterback so for me this is that breaking straw this is that breaking straw that I don't understand why Anthony Lynn is still coaching the San, Di- the, the San Diego to the Los Angeles Chargers because he just doesn't believe in his players. And if he's going to talk like that about a player that put him in the game single-handedly against the defending Super Bowl champions, I don't know what to say. Yeah, well, I think two minutes in that game swung everything from that call onwards. But we're going to do our segment called Two Minute Drills where we just recap all the games from week two. And then we're going to be going over, you know, prospective looks into week three and how those games are going to turn out. It's just be super quick. We'll just go over all these games. Bengals and Browns, Bengals 30, Browns 35. Joe Burrow led an amazing comeback, had 70 or 60 passing uh, passing attempts. It was a crazy, crazy game, but amazing rushing by the double-headed snake of Kareem Hunt and Chubb. Yeah, there's no chance the Bengals are going to win if Joe Burrow's throwing 61 times. And shout out to him, he didn't throw a single pick. But this is one of those games where the Browns just look so much better because they played the Ravens week one and everyone's going to look bad playing Baltimore. Uh, Giants-Bears. Um, I thought Trubisky actually played, for the most part, a decent game. Like, the two picks are misleading. He obviously made some terrible throws, but he managed the game, handed it off to Montgomery when needed, and I thought it was a, it was one of those hold-on, but we're in control type wins for the Bears. A really ugly, ugly win for the Bears. Bears 17, Giants 13. Danny Dimes did not look his best, but really stepped it up in the second half with Saquon gone. We'll see how bad this team is. They, they seem to have some potential. Evan Ingram, six catches, 65 yards. We'll see what happens. But I don't really know. But speaking of tight ends that stepped up, Eagles, 19. Rams, 37. Tyler Higby, three touchdowns. But Daryl Henderson is the only healthy running back right now for the Rams because Malcolm Brown injured his finger. Cam Akers injured his ribs. This was just a rough game if you're an Eagles fan because a lot of people are saying Carson Wentz experiment is nearing its end. And... I, I like Wentz, but it's not been great for the first two games. And Miles Sanders is a bright spot. I like him a lot. And Jalen Rager did really well, too. Cowboys 40, Falcons 39. One of the craziest games we've seen in a while. Falcons are by far the worst coach team in the NFL. Last weekend, this week, can only speak to that. Teams that had scored 39 points, at least 39 points, and committed zero turnovers mm-hmm. were 440 and zero up until yesterday mm-hmm. the cowboys are the first team to beat a team that scored 39 points and didn't commit a single turnover and, uh, and also the falcons had three takeaways i'm amazed that nobody on that team on the falcons team was able to touch the ball when the onside kick was committed i just don't have any words for this game i was watching this game just because it was one of those interesting games with two teams with crazy high-powered offenses Falcons looked in control. It was just kind of in the background while I was doing something else. And, you know, the Cowboys scored, made it like a nine-point game, and then they scored again. And 
I never, not even one moment in that game did I think, you know, the Cowboys might actually win this. Even when the onside kick was coming, I was thinking, you know, they don't have Young Way Koo. Like, they can't do it. But what a kick from Zerline. Like, that was one of the UFO crazy spinny onside kicks I've ever seen. So I'm mad because I thought the Falcons were going to be a playoff team this year. Yeah, Falcons had a 99% chance of winning that game, did not end up winning that game. Buccaneers 31, Panthers 17. Christian McCaffrey injured about halfway through that game. Teddy Bridgewater looked okay, but I don't know. This Buccaneers team seems to be hitting its stride. Their defense seems to be doing a lot better. Robbie Anderson did have 109 yards, but still, I don't know. This Buccaneers team seems to be doing okay, and Tom Brady did a lot better this week than against last week against the Saints. He still looked a little shaky, but I I think the Evans-Brady connection is like really starting to find its groove, and he's probably the best receiver that... Brady's played with in a while since maybe like prime Randy Moss so not no not discounting what Edelman does what Amendola did what Wes Welker did but Mike Evans is just a different breed yeah uh 49ers 31 Jets 13 the 49ers were able to convert a third and 33 and that just tells you how bad the Jets team is this game was only so close because the entire 49ers roster got injured so I don't really want to speak more on this game because the Jets are the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, this is the infirmary game for the Niners. It's one of those, like, you just feel terrible after a win type games. So let Niners fans mourn for a while. Steelers 26, Broncos 21. Game was very, very close. Drew Locke gets injured pretty early. Jeff Driscoll comes in, throws a pick that wasn't really his fault, gets bounced off another player, but still threw for 256 yards, two touchdowns. Melvin Gordon looked okay, but honestly... Bright spot for the Broncos because a lot of the players are injured, but we managed to put up a fight against a very efficient and a very good Steelers defense. And for the Steelers, Big Ben looked okay. The running backs actually ended up pulling through. Thought James Conner was going to be injured, didn't end up or ended up playing, so didn't end up not being injured. And Snell also ended up pulling through, but you know, a very very tight game towards the end. Surprised the Broncos came back. Yeah, they're they're one of those good bad teams, and they'll always be in games. Pittsburgh just has crazy drafting talent for wide receivers. Like Chase Claypool already looks like a star and it's been two games. And Eric Ebron still hasn't gotten it going in the season. I think he's going to play a bigger role as we go forward in these games. Titans 33, Jaguars 30. Very interesting game. A lot of back and forth. Gostkowski had a great field goal, missed an extra point. So the woes of Gostkowski again and again. But... Looks like Ryan Tannehill is actually deservedly getting paid how much he's getting paid. I don't know. But bright spot for Gardner Minshew is that he did end up throwing three touchdowns, so good for him. If you have Minshew, you're just always going to be in the game. He's one of those really... He's like a savant almost. He's taking on this like epic glory status at the NFL. He's just He, he was kind of a meme last year, but then he caught on Minshew mania. So I, he's fun to watch. Yeah. Lions, 21 Packers 42, Aaron Jones is a beast, and the Lions suck. The Lions have lost 11 straight games dating the last year. So, And they, they've blown double-digit leads in a lot of these games. They were up 14-3, to three, but Packers Matt are Patricia, man. too good, man. Packers are a class above. And, and, and that 14-3 that comeback was for a good amount without even giving Devontae Adams the ball. He didn't have that many catches. It was basically all on the shoulders of Aaron Jones. That was a great game to watch until it became a blowout. Bills 31, Dolphins 28. A very close game that actually I didn't get to watch a lot of because the TV crews could not broadcast the signal out. 
So I actually, and no one actually got to watch about half this game, but Josh Allen looks mighty good, but it was a very close game, very misleading stats wise, but yeah. Has there been any offseason signing who's helped a quarterback more than what Stephon Diggs has done for Josh Allen? Like he's, that, that connection looks dynamic. He had 153 yards, eight catches, touchdowns. So I, I, I like what I'm seeing from the Bills so far, but it is concerning that they only won by three against a pretty, pretty under talent matchup Dolphins team. I don't know how to word that. Colts 28, Vikings 11. The Colts essentially shut out the Vikings, but they did have a few losses. Obviously, Malik Hooker is going to be out. And for Phil Rivers, one of his, I guess, now favorite targets, Michael Pittman Jr., uh, we'll see about his injury status. So I don't know, but Mo Ali Cox had a great game. Jonathan Taylor rushed for over 100 yards for the first time in his career and scored his first career touchdown. So good looks for the Colts, but terrible looks for the Vikings to not get it started on offense and just, you know, shut down defense by this, this honestly pretty good Colts defense, I guess. I'm going to read you Kirk Cousins' stats from this game, and you told me if I could do better. 11 of 26, no touchdowns, three picks. You know who this reminds me of? Nathan Peterman, the legend. I mean, if you have Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, and Dalvin Cook as as your, you know, people on your team, I think you could do better. But Justin Jefferson did get some some catches, so good for him. Washington football team, 15, Cardinals, 30. Kyler Murray looks unstoppable on this Washington team. I thought they put up more of a fight. They did come back towards the end, but the Cardinals, man, they look really put together. Kyler Murray is going to get some MVP buzz, and it's very Russell Wilson-esque what he does. And a lot of, a lot of these quarterbacks are just having crazy rushing touchdown. Like They're going to have a lot. They're going to have double-digit rushing touchdown totals by the end of the year. Ravens, 33, Texans, 16. Pretty much what, what we expected is... Lamar Jackson comes out. Texans defense cannot handle him. Deshaun Watson puts his everything, his body, his soul, his life on the line. The Texans are not able to pull through for him. And one man cannot carry a football team no matter how hard he tries. 99% of the league plays football. Deshaun Watson plays an extreme sport. That is his status as a, as a QB behind the offensive line. It's rough. Chief 23, Chargers 20. We've already talked way too much in depth about that. Let's skip. Seahawks 35, Patriots 30, and a very entertaining Sunday Night Football. Cam Newton looks amazing on this Patriots team. One attempt short, one yard short of winning this game against the Seahawks. But I believe right now the best player in the NFL, other than Patrick Mahomes, has to be Russell Wilson. He threw some dimes yesterday, some absolute dimes. And I was just blown away a few of those throws he made, man. Yeah, Wilson is spectacular. I think this is finally the season where Pete Carroll's like, all right, you have the keys to the car. Go do whatever you want. I want to real quickly about Cam. There's a lot of NFL GMs right now just kicking themselves. Like, why did we not sign Cam Newton? Because he got healthy in the offseason. Everyone knows he's still a super talented guy. And it's insane that nobody took him nobody even took a chance on him and of course the patriots get him of course new england gets him they're not kicking themselves because honestly even we called it out we said that cam should have been signed and he wasn't until the patriots signed him but for the seahawks i will have to say let russell cook i'm finally happy that the seattle fan base which is so desperately over the past few years asked 
begged, pleaded its head coach and its organization to let the best player in football actually throw the ball more than 10, 15 times a game. I'm finally glad it actually happened. Shri, you're in Seattle right now, I'm sure. You can feel the joy permeating throughout the city that Russell Wilson has finally developed and blossomed into a player that can competently throw the ball because his head coach lets him throw the ball and that he can actually lead a team to victory by throwing the ball because his head coach lets him throw the ball. You know, there's a building right outside my room. I have a view of some of the skyline and there's a there's a building with like a white light on the top and every time the Seahawks win, it turns blue and green. So we're going to be seeing a lot of that this year if they keep letting Russell cook. Raiders 34, Saints 24. We've talked about that. So that wraps up week two. A very interesting week three. A terrible Thursday night football matchup, but we get do get to watch Gardner <laughs> Minshew. So Jaguars, Dolphins, I have the Jags winning. Easy money, easy money. You want to make it interesting and do like the number prediction for like how much you think they'll win? Sure, but I'm really going to throw out random numbers. So, I mean, if you want to go ahead, I'm just going to throw out some I'll random I'll say numbers. like Jags by six. Jags by 15. Okay, 49ers versus Giants. Interesting matchup because the 49ers are basically their practice squad team right now. I'll say that 49ers pulled through, but Danny Daz makes it close. 49ers by three. I think Niners by 10 because they just have, despite the rash of injuries, they have a lot of talent. And the Niners are missing, I'm sorry, the Giants are missing pretty much half their offense in Saquon. Oh, wow. Also, interesting note here. The 49ers are playing their second straight game at MetLife Stadium because they played the Jets last week and the Giants and the Jets shared the same stadium. So I guess mm-hmm. they're not going home to San Francisco, but very interesting because they obviously complained about the field. So we'll see if the injury bug strikes them again. Washington football team versus the Cleveland Browns. I have the Browns winning this one by 20. I just think that the Browns rushing attack is too much to handle for the Washington football team. I don't know how good the Browns are, but I know they're a little better than a pretty interesting Washington football team. I'll say Browns by a touchdown. Bengals, Eagles. I'm going Eagles by seven or six. I don't know, man. This this Eagles team, one of their great um, offensive linemen, uh, he's from Oregon State. What's his name? Yeah, Isaac Samalo. Their Isaac guard, Samalo. right? You yeah, their guard. Right yeah, guard. Uh, yeah. He's injured, so we'll see what happens with this team. Uh, but rooting for the Eagles because I like Jalen Rager. But I, I, I just feel bad favoring the Eagles in any matchup. But I'll say like Eagles by a field goal. I think Burrow still makes it interesting. Love Joe Burrow though. He's my new favorite player in the league. So, okay, Raiders, Patriots. I'm going Patriots by. That by ten, I I think I don't know. It's just a bit too hard to stop this this Cam Newton rushing attack. I don't think the the Raiders can have two straight weeks of amazing defense. Well, here's the thing. The Pats secondary got cooked by a quarterback who knew how to make throws, and I'm not saying Derek Carr is Russell Wilson, but I'm saying he does know how to make the throws. And you know, the Raiders are moving the ball this season very effectively, and it's not their offense that's an issue. So I think this is going to be one of those shootouts. And again, logic says New England, but my heart says Raiders by six. Falcons, Bears. If the Falcons don't win this game, I don't know what is going to happen to Dan Quinn. Falcons by 12. Yeah, I think I think Falcons by a field goal. I think this is one of those desperation games where you know that you're already 0 2 and if you want to stay in the division race even for those that extra wild card spot, you need this game, especially against a Bears team that hasn't looked great, but at least they've looked 
competent. So the Falcons, this is one of their their measuring stick games. Rams Bills. I think the Bills will make it really close. I think the Rams eke it out by a field goal, but I don't know. I think the Bills might win this game too. This is Very like close. A, this is a pick'em. Like I really don't know. Like the, because both teams are good. Both teams have some obvious deficiencies. I think the Bills on offense they still need to figure out some things, and the Rams offenses looked okay, and the defenses looked okay too. They just won because of pure talent so far, but we'll see. Texans Steelers. I'm also a bit confused on this one because the Texans have not been playing up to their level, and the Steelers have not been playing up to their level. Did not look too great in the second half against the Broncos, so I'm gonna have to pick the Texans. I don't, I, I don't feel confident about this. I'll say Texans by like a field goal. I'm sure it's gonna be a close game. I don't know. Early season, the Steelers look like they just have a couple more skill guys than the Texans. And while I do like Watson more than Big Ben, I think Big Ben does know how to make use of his receivers. So I don't know. I'm gonna go Pittsburgh by three. Titans Vikings if the past two games have been any indication for the Vikings I'm gonna go Titans by 10 yeah Titans by could this be a trap game where you know Kirk Cousins last year when he struggled he he made these all like apology podcasts or whatever and talked to Adam Thielen talked to Stephon Diggs told him you know we're gonna get you more involved it does does Cousins with this big contract and he's the guy in Minnesota for now like does he bounce back I don't know uh, yeah, Titans by a touchdown, I guess. Panthers, Chargers. If Tyrod Taylor starts, Panthers win the game. If Justin Herbert starts, Chargers win the game. So I'm gonna go. Uh, I'll go ahead and say the Panthers are gonna win the game. If Christian McCaffrey doesn't play, the Chargers. Oh, actually, will most never mind. Jk, Jk, Jk. Sorry, sorry. Christian McCaffrey is not playing. See, after so many injuries, I forget. Okay, the Chargers will win this game regardless. But I think it'll be a very close game. Yeah, the, Pan- the Panthers will fight. I think it'll be close. Wait, give me one sec. I got to get my charger. I'll be back. And also, like, just to clarify, like, we're just doing score predictions. Like, uh, I know for those listening at home, I know you might hear some stuff where, like, people guess the lines or they guess, like, the Vegas odds of, like, what team is just, like, set to be favored as. That's not what we're doing. We're, we just think, like, oh, how much is this team going to win by? We are not that smart. Colts, Jets. Colts by 10 or 12. Let's go with 12. I love this Colts team. You already know that. Oh, they're going to go 2-1. and one. I think this is just Jets game. Hopefully, it's not a trap game for them. Should be easy money. Colts by, like, 15. I don't think the Jets are even a little good. Cowboys-Seahawks, game of the week by really? far. You think it's the game okay, of the week? Sorry. Chiefs-Ravens is the game yeah, of the week. I was but say. Cowboys-Ravens is also a very interesting game. Cowboys Second Hawks. game of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll take Seahawks by, like, 7. It'll be a close game. We'll see if Russell Wilson throws the ball. At least 25 times, I think they win the game. There's like a really loud car downstairs, like a motorbike. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Seahawks by seven. They're just a better team overall. Lions Cardinals. Cardinals by 22. Is this a trap game? Because Lions aren't like a, a completely god awful bad team the way the Jets are. So I think they could like hang with a Cardinals team that still doesn't know if they're like at the top towards the top of the league or if they're still a middling team like we've seen two great games from a team that hasn't proved anything in the past i don't know i feel like the cardinals are going to be garbage sorry the lions are going to be garbage so cardinals by three let me let me do that you doubt kyler murray man don't doubt i'm kyler not murray. doubting kyler murray or deandre hopkins or 
Teron Matthew. I'm just not as down on Matthew Stafford as I am on the rest Tyron of Matthew the team. Teron is on, is on the Chiefs, is he not? Not Tyron Matthew. Who am I thinking of? Patrick Peterson. Yeah. Patrick Peterson. Um, oh, no. My thing was, has Galladay come back? Like, is he is he coming back next game? Uh, I think so. I believe so. Uh, let me check. Yeah, see, the thing with all these injuries, we just don't know. Yeah, he's expected to be back for, for week. Three, I think so. that'll help out. Okay, good. No, yeah, it should help out. It should help out. Okay. Uh, Buccaneers, Broncos. I'll go Buccaneers by 10 because the Broncos are just a little bit too injury-riddled to keep yeah. up. They'll fight, but I think Bucks by yeah. I think Bucks by ten is fair. Packers Saints second straight primetime game for the Saints. I'm gonna go Packers by seven. I think Aaron Rodgers is on a mission to prove it. Devonte Adams is healthy enough. I think the Packers could potentially steal this game away from the Saints. I think Packers by seven if Michael Thomas isn't playing, but it's like a pick 'em if he is. He's he's not playing. He's out for the next few weeks. So. Oh, then then Packers by seven. Yeah. Chiefs Ravens. Probably the best game of the season. Oh, regular my God. season. This this gives me the the Rams Chiefs game vibes from not last season, maybe two years ago. It was a crazy game in LA Coliseum. So yeah. I don't know, man. Like fifty three fifty Ravens. I'm gonna go with the Chiefs here. I just I have to. I in the playoffs I choose the Ravens, but right now I'm choosing the Chiefs. So. I think I'd flip that. In the playoffs I'd take the Chiefs, but in the regular season I'd take the Ravens. Until they yeah. prove that they can That's true, that's true actually. They yeah. can do it in the playoffs. I'll I'll go with the Chiefs here. But yeah, that wraps up our two minute warning, which was a lot faster than two minutes. Actually two minute drills is what it's called, right? Not two minute warning. Yeah, we'll, two minute drills. We'll we'll work on a name. I think two minute no drill is a good name. I think you accidentally said two minute warning at the beginning. I I, I said two minute drills. I think you just okay. said two minute warning. Well, it's but two we'll, minute fi- drill. We'll, we'll figure out the name. It's two minute drill with a lot of out of bounds plays and some clock stoppages, some spikes. Uh, definitely got to do the fake spike touchdown pass in the end, though. Shout out Matthew Stafford, Dan Marino. But moving on to probably uh, one of the craziest games in the bubble. No doubt, it's insane. The Nuggets Lakers. I just want to give you a stat. I'm not sure if you've heard this. In the last five minutes and twenty one seconds of the game. The only two players to score all the points or any of the points were Jokic and Anthony Davis. That was going to be one of the the central things I talk about. How this game was the 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 boost of the big men, and this is people like talking guard matchups. They like talking Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell. They like talking, you know, Kawhi Leonard versus Jamal Murray. I'm just talking about the the series in the West so far. You know, people make such a big deal about like the wings in the East, like. Pascal Siakam, Jason Tatum, and now there's, you know, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Um, it nobody talks about centers that way, and it's it's very refreshing to see two big men just go at it. And it, and the crazy thing about this is that they were going at each other. Like when down the stretch of that game, when Jokic just decided, you know what, I'm gonna turn up the heat, I'm gonna start scoring. There was one play where. He ended up with that little baby hook in the post. He just took Anthony Davis down in the post. And this, mind you, is like the runner-up for defensive player of the year. He's like a big guy. He's a strong guy. And Jokic just made him look like a baby. Like, it, it, I, AD's 6'10", and he's huge. But there's like a tangible difference when you're a seven-footer and built the way Jokic is. Like, he's not the strongest guy, but he's just... 
he's a lot of human let me put it like that and i loved it like he, he Jokic is one of those true post guys who he has a lot of moves in the post he can get you with. You never know which way he's going. He's a very herky-jerky guy when he's going down there. And AD really struggled to contain him towards the end of that game. But the nice thing about being AD is that you have an infinite arsenal of moves on the offensive end to get Jokic with. And that culminated in one of the stupidest defensive breakdowns I've ever seen a team have in the playoffs. Mason Plumlee. Now... Mason Plumlee is a great backup center. Like he's one of the like for a backup, he's one of the best passing big men in the league. Like that's unquestioned. He knows how to run the Denver offense well, and he just had a miscommunication problem. Like Jeremy Grant was on LeBron, and there was a there was a thing on Twitter someone showed where you know right before the play happened, you can hear the audio, especially in the bubble when people are recording from courtside. Grant motioned to Plumlee saying help on LeBron so when Plumlee went to go check James on the inbound Rondo was taking the ball out out of bounds I guess it's I think it's on Grant to make the switch knowing AD is coming off the curl because Plumlee came over to help with LeBron there's no need for Grant to still stay on Braun and yeah like there it is Plumlee's fault because AD is his guy but there was that pre-inbound discussion between the two. And I think that's just something those two need to figure out. It's tough because it was... It decided the game. Like, it was just a bad play. I think in that situation, you see if there is five seconds on the clock left, I think it's a different play call. Not on the off on the defense side of the ball. There's literally enough time for just a shot. So you know whoever gets the ball, they're shooting. They're not going to pass the ball. So if you're Jeremy Grant and you're guarding LeBron and you see AD come around that three-point line and grab the ball, you leave your man because you know that AD doesn't have enough time to pass the ball to LeBron James and LeBron to get the shot off. You know AD has to be the person to take the shot. So you have to leave your man, leave your assignment, and go attack the ball and guard that shot. Well, I think if they inbounded to LeBron, like 2.1 is enough time, at least if, if you're a shooter, it's enough time to pump fake, dribble, and get off a shot. I think it, there is a world in which you, you inbound the ball and make a quick cut and get a layup. But like that's it's just very unlikely. Like You're no, right. Like It's if, just not going to happen. If, if the ball was passed to LeBron, I think it's a different story. But because the ball was passed to AD at the three-point line, like if I'm Jeremy Grant, and granted, I'm not Jeremy Grant. He's a much Good better one. basketball player a, than I am. That's a great one. Thank you. But if there's only 2.1 seconds left, I'm assuming just instinct-wise, whoever gets the ball, they're going to take that shot. They're going to make that shot. So, Or not make the shot, but they're going to take that shot. They're, gonna, they're not going to pump fake. It's going to be hard for them to pass. And also, Plumlee's right there. So granted, there has to be some communication, like I guess in practice or pre... I was going to say pre-snap, pre-inbound pass that the switch needs to happen. So... It's a little bit of a breakdown, but this one breakdown cost them a 2-0 lead in the series. So a question I have for you, is this a turning point? Can the Nuggets come back and win another game? Have the Nuggets figured it out because the game was so close now and they basically almost won this game? It was still a an overall poor game from Denver until the fourth because they they let the Lakers get into their offense way too early. And when you have the big guys engaged the way... McGee and Dwight Howard were off the bench and 
with Rondo's playmaking now, which has been such a huge help for LeBron. Like Rondo has been averaging like six, seven assists off the bench, along with some very timely three-point shooting. The Lakers are just that more scary, that much more scary. And one of the things I really like from LA is that all their energy guys off the bench have been doing it on the defensive end. It's not necessarily the offense because like you expect Danny Green and KCP to give you that like 8, 9, 10 points a game. And KCP has been huge for them in these playoffs. But guys like Caruso, who you just want on the floor because of their ball IQ and what they do for the team overall. He had a dunk in this game. He had a crazy block. He had energy steals. He's always hustling, diving on the floor, making great reads, knows the offense really well. And those are the guys LeBron really respects and really knows how to play with on the floor. But Anthony Davis, man, I I really want to say this about AD, and I've never thought this about him before. Today was one of the first games where I saw him, you know, do that little like crossover dribble, like pull up into a jumper, like so consistently. And he is not like he he's a big and he can play like a big. But he, he literally played like how, like someone like Paul George or Kawhi, like he played like that, which is, that's unfair. Like that type of basketball player is unfair, especially when you're given his defensive gifts and his offensive talents. We have to start talking about Anthony Davis like he's, like he eventually will be the best player in the league. Give it maybe a year, two years, I don't know. He's damn near unstoppable right now. I think AD is over and underrated at the same time because you're right. He is so, so good, and he has so many weapons on offense. But I see people on Twitter comparing AD to Tim Duncan and to Dirk and being like, oh, AD is a better power forward than Tim Duncan and Dirk. And just, those kids didn't watch Duncan and Dirk like we did. They don't, they don't know. know the history of the game, dude. Yeah, but I think AD will be in the conversation with Tim Duncan and Dirk as one of the best power forwards of all time. So... He's on the way of becoming to becoming one of the better players in the league, the best players in the league, top two, top three. I think he's definitely top five right now. So a lot, a lot, a lot of good things happened for both teams in that game. Just a little, just so close for the Nuggets. So I think you know they can really capitalize on this momentum and potentially win and steal a game, two games, get the momentum back, even the series, get something going from the series. One thing I really liked about the Nuggets were some of their end-of-the-bench guys who came in. Like, P.J. Dozier was huge for them. Like, in a time where they were struggling to get offense, he was generating steals and getting those and-one transition buckets. Missed a bunch of clutch free throws, which I think would have really helped them out. But it, it was the energy. And that, that energy really transferred over to the guys like Jokic and Murray. And, like, we, the Nuggets were dead in the water for most of this game until Jokic just decided, you know, I'm going to put this team on my back. These guys off the bench are doing it. Like, I need to really step it up. And then started hitting his jump shots. Got his um, little mid-range game going. Um, worked the post. So, those energy guys off the bench are huge for Denver's stars to, you know, trust them with looks. Michael Porter Jr. had a decent game today. Um, Gary Harris has to hit a few more shots. Torrey Craig played all right. Jeremy Grant needs to hit a few more shots. But I think the Nuggets are... The, it's not one of those backbreaking losses despite the fact that it was a buzzer beater and AD yelled Kobe after the shot which was great but it it didn't feel like one of those 
numbing losses. I think the Nuggets can take a lot from this game and really focus on trying to even the series and not let it get to 3-1 again. Jokic has to be considered one of the clutchest players in the league. We talked about this in the last pod. We talk about this every pod we bring up Jokic, but he's so unbelievably clutch that Tippin otherworldly. I think he's like a top two clutch player right now in the league. Yeah. And I have no hesitation in saying that because I think the numbers will support me and this playoffs are supporting me as well. He's so clutch. Would you say the... Because I think AD has been pretty clutch in these playoffs too. I would say in no particular order. If you're looking at clutch factor, there's there's Jokic. There's Jamal Murray. There's... For all the heat he's going to take, Kawhi Leonard is a very clutch player. Um... Dame Lillard. We have to start including Booker in these conversations. What do you think about Kyrie? I haven't seen enough enough from Kyrie this this year. Okay, I'm I'm well, just ta- I'm just talking about this year. I wasn't talking okay. about like overall. Okay. Now I think this year, obviously number one for me is Dame Lillard, and number two right now is Jokic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it is what it is. But you know, there's a lot to see in this Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. 2-1 lead by the Heat. Celtics came back, took a game that was in their hands. The Heat sort of came back from it a little bit, but really interesting to see where that series goes. And that about wraps up another episode of the Locked In Podcast. A lot of NFL talk, a little bit of NBA talk, no NHL talk, although Stanley Cup Finals are going on and the series is even. So excited to see what this Lightning team does against the Dallas Stars. Very Weird matchup, Dallas versus Tampa Bay, two hockey capitals of the world, as we all know. But shout out, shout out Tampa because last season they were the points leader for their conference and got bounced in the first round. Awful first round loss, you know, President's Trophy winning, and it was just disappointing. But this year they really bounced back, and for all you hockey fans out there, we care, we do care, and the we ML- care, we care, but just not enough to talk about it on the podcast. That's very fair. And the MLB playoffs are, you know, shaping up. The A's look really good. The Giants are fighting for that wild card spot. So exciting. A lot of good stuff going on in the sports world. But that that's it, I think. Um follow us on Insta. It's at podcast.lockedin. And our website is www.lockedinpod.com. We're gonna keep updating that with articles and we're going to actually start writing on it at some point. One of these days we will, but it's probably not today. Um, we'll have all the episodes there on, of course. Um, if you have any any famous people you know, we haven't done this in a while, but if you have any famous people you know, hit us up because we want guests. We're, 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 we're grinding. We're trying to find you guys guests, and we're going to hopefully get some football players on and some coaches, something going on like that, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a slow time for guests right now. They're all busy. But we will always try and give you guys the best content. Again, please feel free to follow us on our Instagram page. And as always, stay safe and wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace.